Live from Gerber, this is the Lock Tomb Podcast. I'm Amy. And I'm Mel. We're rereading Gideon the Ninth by Tamsin Muir. Today we'll be covering Gideon the Ninth, chapters 17 through 22. In this bit, things get a little bit bleak in Canaan House. The necromancers fail to raise Magnus and Abigail from the dead. Gideon almost gets siphoned to death in order for Hera to complete a challenge. And then to top it off, the fourth teens find that someone has been incinerated. And honestly, that's not even close to the whole summary. But it's bleak. It's bleak. <laughs> and this is going to be a juicy episode. There's a lot here. Yeah. In particular, I feel like in chapter 22, there's a lot happening, which is where mm-hmm. we'll spend a lot of time. But hey, before we get started, I have a question <laughs> for you, Amy. Uh, hit me. How did the Ninth House's transportation agency solve for increasingly bad traffic congestion? Uh, tell me. <laughs> They built a carpool tunnel. Oh, my God. (laughs) That might be the worst one yet. And by that, I mean the best. (laughs) I'm pretty proud of that one. Did you make that one up? I made that up. Yeah. Damn. Okay. I feel good. Well, this Um, is is when Magnus (laughs) would really be proud. Truly. I know, man. Oh, and we got to talk about how dead Magnus is right now. So he's so dead. That's a real bummer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's get into it. Chapter 17. Whew. All the necromancers try to raise Abigail and Magnus from the dead. Yeah. So when I first read this, I was like, oh, of course, uh, they just try and raise him from the dead. But after you read Harrow and it's like such a big part of necromancy, and we just don't really see it in Gideon. Because Harrow's a bone magician, and she doesn't focus on on this kind of necromancy. But it was really, um, it's a really interesting, it's really interestingly written, I think. What I don't understand about this is why it doesn't work. I think it's something that Kitherea did. Hmm. If they were able to do that, the, the you know, the jig would be up for Kitherea. So I feel like there's some sort of thing power that Kitherea has or like knowledge that Kitherea has that makes it so that it's not possible it's something that she did happen to them right and even when you know we hear later on not in chapter 17 but that there are all these like bone fragments found inside the bodies mm-hmm. maybe that has something to do with it I don't know but I feel like it didn't work because of Kitherea yeah, because I guess the only spirit magician, is this right? The only spirit magician there after Abigail is Silas. Right, and the only reason I think Silas fails is because Protessa Lawis punches him in the face. <laughs> right, right. So I do wonder if Dulcinea slash Kitherea has Protessa Lawis punch Silas in the face because... She's afraid that he'll actually raise them from the dead and they'll be like, yo, Dulcinea is killing people. Yeah. Or is it because later Hera points out that all Silas would have to had do? Well, I wrote this incorrectly. (laughs) (laughs) But this is a good point. (laughs) Uh, Because later, (laughs) later Hera points out that all Silas would have to do to know that Dulcinea was a lictor or to know that Protessa Lawis was puppeted would be to siphon her. And like when he's siphoning Colum in that moment, 
I think it gets to the point where kind of he starts siphoning oh, everyone in the room. I so see. I don't know. Does she have him punch Silas in the face because she's afraid Silas will figure out that she's a lictor or pro is puppeted? Or is it because she's afraid he'll actually bring them back or all of the above? Right. Right. It could be any of those things. I mean, clearly pro punched him because something might have been revealed, no matter the channel. That right. was also a great. I just love it when people get punched in the face in these books. It's it's real fun. I know you're you're so into it. <laughs> um, there's also another piece, another clue here around. I think it, they they say like, oh, Corona Beth didn't even break a sweat. I just love again. Yeah. It's like throughout this whole thing, Corona Beth is assumed. There's so much assumption here. That she's such a good necromancer that there is no evidence of it, you know? She's huge. She doesn't break a sweat. Like, she's so commanding. And that everyone mm-hmm. assumes, like, because of those things, she must be a really good necromancer when, in fact, it's the complete opposite. And that's just, like, another example that we see here. Yeah. <laughs> it's very funny. And then there's the bit where Ianthe bites off, like, a bit of oh. Nibirius's hand. It's so gross. We, I don't even want to talk about it. That was Nasty. fascinating. I was, like, real yucked out by that situation. <laughs> Me too. So was Gideon. So, yeah. you know. Um, mm-hmm. We should talk a little bit about why Teacher is so horrified that the soul siphoning is happening down here. Yeah. I mean, in the end, Silas and Colum doing this it does end up with, you know, an evil spirit or something taking over Colum's body. And so many people say that the facility is filled with ghosts or angry spirits. So teacher is, I think, just anticipating what ends up happening. Although when that happens, it's not in the facility. I think it's interesting that there seems to be for teacher this line between the facility and the rest of Canaan House, it seems like the rest of Canaan House is really dangerous, too. Yeah, the idea is that if your soul is being siphoned, it's leaving room for something else to come and inhabit your body. Mm-hmm. And for a teacher, because there is that line, that doing this down in the facility is like the worst thing that you could do. Which is also kind of funny considering the challenge that Gideon and Harrow end up taking on is very similar to that in principle. And so it's sort of like this funny thing where the teacher is so horrified that that's happening down there, but it's also written into the next challenge. Yeah. I think the difference is Dulcinea says that when Silas and Colum do it, it's like he sends Colum's soul somewhere and then exploits the space left behind. And then in the challenge, uh, it's more literally like Hera is sucking the thing allergy from Gideon but Gideon's soul is intact yeah I think that's it's different but it's still you're still basically exploiting someone Mm -hmm. for the purposes of your own kind of power hoarding (laughs) right definitely which is what lictorhood is in (laughs) essence we see that over and over (laughs) again yeah but after all of this it really turns into a whodunit next couple of chapters and it's a real fun play on the whodunit kind of trope. Yeah. It's funny, too, because so quickly you see the different houses, like, kind of draw their lines and, like, show their true colors. And then teacher says that it wasn't a murder because murder is done by the living. But actually, like, 
it was a murder. Do you think that he suspects? I don't. I don't think so. Or do you think he really thinks that it's like a ghost? I I don't know. I don't think he expects Kitherea. But I think he he suspects foul play, I think. But he's trying to keep everyone a little bit chill. Because, I mean, it it is kind of a weird thing because later on when everyone realizes there's a finite amount of keys mm-hmm. and, you know, I think it's Corona Beth who's like, so we could team up. You know, I feel like instead mm-hmm. of encouraging that path, teacher just says, well, there's only one rule and I mm-hmm. gave you the rule. And he doesn't he doesn't say like, yeah, you could team up. He almost leaves it open for competition, which is sort of funny. And so I don't know what he I don't know if he's just genuinely a neutral being. And so he's not ever trying to push anyone in one direction or another or what. Um, but I don't know if he suspects that Kitherea is the one who who murdered. But he might suspect foul play or he might just really believe that the facility is haunted. Yeah, that's really interesting. The second house, um, on the other hand, just wants to like call for help from the cohort. They're obsessed with calling the cohort. And teacher's like, you can't. And that's when they ask, I think it's Judith asks, who else had a facility key? Basically, like, is suspicious that one of them killed Magnus and Abigail. And this is when Coronabeth and Nibirius find out that Ianthe has had a facility key. Yep. This whole time. Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. When I read this the first time, I was like, oh, Ian, they must be the bad guy. But, you know, it was a total misdirect. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I didn't even think anything of it. I, I always, <laughs> I don't know if I was just so naive when I read it the first time, but I always just thought of the third house as being a distraction. Yeah. And they're not, I mean, the third house plays a really big role, obviously, in Harrow and mm-hmm. specifically Anthony, and I think Corona Beth, too, in her own way. I think Corona Beth is going to come back, like come in hard in Nona the Ninth. Yeah, really? You think in Nona? I feel like we might get a little break from Corona Beth, but we'll see. Well, we can talk about this later. I think that she is in in heroin that last little bit. I think that she's there's like the person who trains her, the person who takes care of her, then the person who whatever. I think Corona Beth is one of those people. No, I agree. I just don't think I think the story is going to diverge from that from where it ended. And Hmm. we're going to take a little bit of a detour and then come back to it in the fourth. Anyway, we should pause because we can talk about that for many hours. I know. I know. (laughs) I know. They just released like a party list from Nona the Ninth. I'll send it to you anyway. Oh, I didn't see it. Oh, man. Okay. (sighs) All right. So basically... I think the only other important part here really is that Gideon watches as Silas tries to call Colum back because Colum's still passed out. And eventually he does come back, but it takes him like 15 minutes or something. And Silas is like, you're getting tardy, (laughs) dick. Yeah. But we're going to see that come back. Someday Colum will not be coming back to his body. Yep. And then the last thing, and I think you might have mentioned this earlier, but towards the end of this chapter 18, Jean-Marie 
is talking about how Abigail's a spirit magician, so if it were ghosts, she should have been able to see that coming. And so we get like a little bit of a hint that this probably isn't a ghost that killed them, that was someone that's that's alive. Right. And you know what's really interesting to me now also is that Abigail is such a huge character in Harrow. And now whenever I read Gideon, I feel like such grief (laughs) for this bit. And I feel such empathy for Jean-Marie and Isaac because they're the only ones really who got to experience Magnus and Abigail, who are two really wonderful people. Totally. And also we learn in Harrow, we do see in Harrow how powerful Abigail is. Yeah. So Jean-Marie is not like full of air here. Abigail should have been able to deal with any ghosts or spirits, but it wasn't a spirit. Yep. So we move on straight from this event. (laughs) Harrow leads Gideon to go find the room that this key that they won opens. And, oh, there's a bit in this section where (laughs) I think it's so funny. Harrow says, look to Gideon and Gideon like stares at her but what she's trying to what she's trying to say is like look at the key and is holding up the key (laughs) Um, she's like at the key moron not at me but in between that we get a little description of Harrow's face Gideon is just really taking her in and I mean Gideon's into Harrow I don't know you know this is the debate of of the 10 of 10,000 years it's like is (laughs) Is Gideon into Harrow or is Gideon just seeing Harrow? You know, like just really seeing Harrow in a totally different way than she's experienced Harrow in her life. I don't know if I don't know if Gideon's into Harrow romantically. We don't see a lot of evidence of that yet. Oh, like there's still Mel. this like there's so <laughs> much revulsion. I mean, maybe it's like really repressed. But there is reference after Mm. reference of Gideon being yucked out by anything that like an exposed harrow at all. In in particular, in the, you know, in the chapters coming up when Harrow's totally naked, I feel I I believe the quote is yikes. (laughs) Oh, I think that's when her face paint comes off. All her clothes and everything from the Mm -hmm. challenge. Yeah. I don't know. I think I'm going to start a little pile of... um, Gideon is absolutely attracted to, if not completely in love with Harrow, <laughs> and we can add evidence to our um, our piles. All right, you this put- goes in my pile. I okay. think that Gideon's kind of into Harrow. I don't. I'm not saying that they're going to get together or that they should get together, but I just think that like Gideon, she's a little in love with Harrow. Yeah, I mean, you definitely want that to be the case. I feel like at this point, I was really rooting for that. Mm-hmm. I feel like I was speed reading so like through this the yeah. first time I read it just for a fucking sex scene. <laughs> and it never comes. It never comes. I know. Spoiler alert, there are no sex scenes so far <laughs> in these books. I don't think she ever would. No, um, and that it's fine. Although there is there is one that is pretty I mean, it basically is a sex scene. It's the Harrowyanthe one and Oh yeah. When she does the arm thing. Right. But I'm, that's like a weird <laughs> necromancer, like twisted. Who knows? Right. Right. 
<laughs> so they they go into the door with this new key that Gideon had found. Right, this is the door that's behind the tapestry. Is that right? Yes. Okay. And they go in, and it turns out that it, it's very clear that a necromancer and their cavalier lived here. And mm-hmm. the room looks like no one had prepared to leave it. It just, like, people were living in it, and then one day they never came back. And the interesting thing about this room is that everything is preserved perfectly. I mean, we're talking, mm-hmm. this room is, like, more than 10,000 years old. And it is in perfect condition, and everything in it is in perfect condition, which is weird. Like, there's not even dust. No. Like, they don't even mention that it's dusty. And I don't think we we ever learn how it's preserved. I mean, clearly, there's some intense magic going on. But we, it's it's funny that it's preserved, and the whole rest of Canaan House is totally falling apart. Yeah, I think this is definitely a a John thing because you know how he can kind of like stop time Hmm. and like all of the food on the Mithraeum is necromantically stopped from or well hmm. anyway I wonder if it's something to do I bet it's something to do with John I bet it's like a little John spelly yeah it's just funny because none of them can come back to this house and yet their rooms are like perfectly preserved yeah, I mean, they they must have been preparing for people someday to come back, though, right? I don't know that when they all ascended into Lictorhood that they knew that they would be damned, you know? Like, I don't know how transparent John was with, or if at the time they even knew that these monsters would be following them for all of eternity. Right. Like, that was a consequence. I just don't know... When the lictors or when the disciples were working to become lictors and they set up these challenges, did they like set them up for each other with a key at the end? They were like, okay, we did this challenge. You have to go and get the key and then you get to go into our room. Right. That is a, you know, that's a big, that's a huge hole in the plot. And maybe we'll, I, I'm wondering if we'll get some flashbacky type stuff in the coming books mm-hmm. that explain that. I kind of thought that they knew what the master theorem was and that all these mini theorems were practice for them to like perfect their necromancy and their connection with their lictor. And then once they were ready, they would do it all together and, and become lictors. Oh, that's an interesting thing. But I don't know about the keys. The keys are are confusing. Yeah, they are. I guess there had to be some system to like win a thing. <laughs> right. <laughs> I also I had a question about this speaking of keys. There's a picture on the wall in the room with the faces scribbled out and I didn't look up where, but I'm pretty sure that it's implied later in the book that Kitharea crossed out these pictures that makes a lot of sense but i did not pick up on that i don't know how she got in though like how would she have gotten in without the here's my theory i could be totally wrong Mm -hmm. and we're kind of jumping ahead there's a big question around her motivation for why she enlists harrow and gideon to like do that challenge to get the key and to perform that act that really should have killed gideon and it didn't because mm-hmm. Gideon is the daughter of God. Um, but 
I think that Kitharea didn't have to go through that challenge to get that key, and that she had the key and went in and did her thing and then put it back. She's a lictor. It shouldn't have impacted her in the same way. And so... That's so true. Oh my gosh, I didn't think about that. She could have done that challenge no problem. Yeah, and then put the key back. And my theory around her motivation is that she didn't think that Harrow and Gideon would survive that challenge and that it would have killed them. Hmm. That's one thought. I mean, she's an incredible actress, if that's the case, yeah. because the way that she treated Gideon, I mean, I'm sure it's complicated for her but <laughs> i'm sure it is the way she treated gideon you never would have thought that she actually wanted harrowing gideon to not survive that challenge she was so kind mm. to gideon and we've seen Ketherea win awards with her acting throughout this whole book so who really knows what's what's true and what's not for her yeah yeah truly hmm I also thought that this was so interesting, not the first time through, but when I read it later, that there's a gun in the training room. At some point, guns became super uncool in the Nine Houses, but apparently not always. Apparently, at some point, they were okay or whatever. But I do wonder if it was a response to the, you know, violence on pre-apocalypse Earth and God was like, guns are bad and... yeah. Therefore, we're going to make them uncool. I like, well, I don't know. I don't know what the motivation would be to use swords instead of firearms. Well, aren't there guns on the front lines? Like when they go and colonize or wipe out planets? I think that they have swords. I think that huh. they might have in the long ago had they had guns. Because remember when Ortis in book two talks about how like, the only people who use guns are like barbarians. So interesting. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird. I don't know. We can keep an eye on it. We also get a, a really interesting note. What is it written on? Anyway, there's a little note or something that says one flesh, one end, G and P. And that's our first one flesh, one end. Yeah, it's our first one flesh, one end and our first reference to the other Gideon. Yeah, and it's interesting because there's another note that Gideon finds here as well that has the name Gideon in it, and that's a really weird moment. We She doesn't actually open it until they go back to their rooms, so Gideon finds a note in one of the drawers in this room, and only parts of it are left. It looks like it had been like torn up. I think it was a note from Anastasia to Pyrrha. Although, I, you know, who knows? I think that makes sense. It's definitely to Pyrrha, right? Mm -hmm. The question of who it's from, we don't fully know. But we do know that Anastasia kind of fucked up her... Spoil major spoiler alert, we know that Anastasia discovered that she didn't have to kill her cavalier to attain lictorhood or at least she was getting close to that realization mm -hmm. and she did something and it messed up her lictorhood process and it kind of broke her and so it would make sense that this is coming from anastasia because it says this will remain incomplete and so i took that to mean her path of becoming a lictor is 
is incomplete. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it also says like he cannot fix my deficiencies. Yeah, I mean that. I mean, who really knows? But that would I think that's a pretty good guess. But then at the end of the note, it says, "Give Gideon my congratulations" or something. And Gideon's reading this like, "What the fuck? Like this is a note from ten thousand years ago." Yeah, and you know, I guess there can be more than one person with the same name, which in this case it is. But like, I think Gideon's kind of freaked out by that. But Mel, before that, there's that really, really intense moment between uh, Gideon and Harrow. It's so good. Oh, it's so good. It's also, ooh, yeah, why don't you why don't you say it? And then I have a couple things. Yeah, so basically Gideon is talking about Magnus and Abigail, and she's like, you treat me more like a stranger than Magnus did. And Harrow, like, gets all up in her face and like stares at her and is like, I must no longer accept being a stranger to you. <laughs> and Gideon is like, whoa, no, 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 no. We cannot be, you know, I think they both know that they're standing on like the precipice of something, like a change in their relationship. Yeah. And that it's really freaking them out. <laughs> yeah, but it, it seems to be freaking Gideon out way more than Harrow. Yeah, for sure. And definitely because we're in Gideon's head in this book. She's right. And she's freaking out. If we're thinking about power dynamics, like Harrow has a lot of power over Gideon. Right. And so this change in relationship has a lot there's a lot more at stake for Gideon in that in that change just by the nature of their power dynamic. Right. I thought this was really beautiful and something that we don't talk about enough when we talk about trust and accountability, but there's this back and forth with them where Harrow says, I need you to trust me. And Gideon says, I need you to be trustworthy. Mm-hmm. And I feel like in a lot of relationship dynamics, we hear a lot about trust. And how can I get someone to trust me? Or why don't you just trust me? We need to have trust. And there's less talk about what it means to be trustworthy. That trust is earned and experienced. And right now, Gideon has no evidence that she's able to trust Harrow. Totally. <laughs> Harrow can't just say, oh, I need you to trust me. And I I just found this back and forth so beautiful and a great model for all of us when Harrow says, in what way can I earn your trust? You know, there's no, there's like no pushback. Oh, it's just, so, it's such a beautiful, and an otherwise extremely unhealthy relationship dynamic. Mm-hmm. Y'all take note, this is like really, (laughs) this is a really beautiful modeling of like building a solid relationship with someone in your life, right? What can I do to earn your trust? Way to go, Harrow. And then to follow through, you know, Gideon, I mean, you know, Gideon's like, let me fucking sleep, dude. And Harrow's like, all right. (laughs) And then, you know, I think, I think it's like a half hour off of the amount of time that Gideon wanted to sleep. And Gideon's like, yeah. see, Harrow always lies. And it's like, I, I mean, I, I think it's that only was cute. five minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was cute. <sighs> so funny. Yeah. It's like the first real hint of like closeness and like this kind of intense positive relationship that's kind of on and off through, mostly just at the end of the book. Yeah. Then we move on to chapter 20 and. Basically, Harrow's let Gideon sleep for like slightly less than she promised, lol. And 
they go back down into the facility to try a new challenge. And I think this is the first moment where we kind of have in Harrow explaining it to Gideon, we have the structure of the challenge broken down. Basically, there are a number of challenges. You have to complete the challenge. You get a key. The key opens a door. Inside the door is the written theorem for that necromantic theorem so that you can memorize it and like be able to do that magic. So that's the first place where it's really laid out for us. In the facility, they run into Dulcinea. And then surprisingly, she offers or she asks to work together because she's done some work on a challenge that she feels like she can't complete. So she'll give them some information if they do the challenge and then they get the key first and then pass it on to her. We talked a little bit about like what her motivation was for this. I'm. It's still, it's still confusing to me because it sounds like she also asked Palamides and Camilla first. So... I guess maybe if your theory is correct, she just figured whoever did this was going to die, and it was one way to right. wipe a couple of people out. Right. I do. Well, I don't know. I'm not really sure. But anyway, she she asks, Harrow seems like she's going to refuse, and then in kind of a plot twist, Harrow unexpectedly agrees, and they follow Dulcinea and Protesilaus to this challenge. There's a bit in here that I found kind of interesting. It's when Harrow kind of like walks away having agreed to doing this challenge. And it says, this is a quote, uh, Dulcinea followed her with a wistful, somewhat hungry expression that Dulcinea reserved for the shadowy nuns of the ninth. And Mm. okay, and this is mostly because I just want to think that everyone was hooking up all the time in the Lichter days. But I'm like, were she and Anastasia like a thing? (laughs) Probably not. That's probably a total misinterpretation of this. But I do wonder why that's in there. It could also be referring to Gideon, the nuns of the night. You know, like Dulcinea's like been flirting with Gideon this whole time. Yeah. But why does she look at Harrow that way too? She just really into like black robes i don't know face paint and face paint really into face codependency paint. i don't know yeah there's also that really funny moment where they get to this g- gap in the floor <laughs> that like it's so <laughs> they need to leap over it's so funny and <laughs> gideon like leaps across and then like offers her hand to harrow and helps harrow across and it's this funny moment because Gideon knows that Harrow could just build a bone bridge in like a second and walk across like that. But this moment where instead she decides to take Gideon's hand and use, you know, accept Gideon's help is, I think, a really important moment. And then she does the thing where she like brushes off her <laughs> coat and like kind of mumbles to herself and like pretends like whatever, nothing happened, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And then goes off to hang out with Protesilaus and Gideon's like, what the hell? <laughs> I know. It I love ugh, it's so fun. These like cute moments in the middle of something like just so dire. And yeah. So let's talk about let's talk about what this challenge is. Let's break it down. What is it that they have to do and why? So it's a challenge where basically it's a death trap that they have to walk through. It's like a hundred meters, I think. 
they have to walk through this like death trap that would kill them like immediately unless they use necromancy. But there's also on top of this death trap spell, there's another spell that is an anti-magic spell. So it's like an anti-magic cone yeah. layered on top of like <laughs> yes, some sort of like death field. It's like a two-part spell. Mm-hmm. The first is the senescence, which basically means deterioration. So I looked I looked all of this up because I was like, I need to know how mechanically this works and I want to know how sound I Tamsin Muir, I'm just saying brilliant. <laughs> but and I don't even fully understand. I I had to use a dictionary to look up words in the definition of these words. So whatever. But uh-huh. the idea is that the senescence like part of that spell is a de- deterioration or loss of a cell's power of division and growth. So basically, mm-hmm. when Harrow puts her hand in, it automatically starts uh, deteriorating her, her the cells in her body. And the other half is an entropy field. So entropy basically is the unavailability of a system's thermal energy for conversion into mechanical work. So basically what that means is that these necromancers cannot use their power to like stop the deterioration from happening because there is an entropy field. Mel, you did your research. I did my research. I was like, well, <laughs> again, because I when I read this the first two times, I like zoomed through it and this happens to me. Maybe I've said this before. Like I read um Three Body Problem a long time ago, mm-hmm. which is like a really dense sci-fi book. And more than half of that is just physics, and I am interested in that for, like, a little bit, but you can't hold my attention too long, so I basically gloss over all of it. But uh-huh. this was interesting to me the, uh, upon the third read. I was like, how does this actually work? And it's just so good. It's so brilliant, and Tamsin Muir is so creative, and I love it. But yes, I did my research. That is That is how the death trap works, and basically... Harrow doesn't have enough power on her own to move through this death trap. And so the only way that she can move through it to reach this key is to actually take Gideon's life energy and bring it into Harrow's self. And it's for a really long time. I think, Amy, you said like 100 meters or something. Um, Yeah, I think if I remember correctly, it was something like that. And there's like a little plinth at the end. Yep. And Dulcinea is like, I know the experiment's parameters. I can tell you what you need to do and explains all of this stuff. And Gideon's like, well, I'll do it. And Harrow is like, I don't think you understand what, you know, what I'm asking here. Like, you'll be in a lot of pain. And Gideon's like, whatever. And okay, there's a line in here. Sometimes I say things from these books in like normal conversation, but this is the line I say more than anything (laughs) else. Harrow says something bad about Protesilaus, and Gideon replies, massive slam on Protesilaus out of nowhere. <laughs> I say that all not about I'm, I'll be like massive slam on whatever out of nowhere. <laughs> I highly recommend people are like, what are you saying? <laughs> if you know, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's such a good line. It's such a good line. I remember I was on Twitter at one point and I saw I think it's Alex Harrow who wrote 10,000 Doors of January. She's an she's an author, um really good author. And she 
quoted this line. And I was like, yes, it's not just me. <laughs> Someone else <laughs> loves this specific line in this book. It's so funny. It's so funny. It's also, it's also funny to hear Moira Quirk say it so if you again if you haven't listened to the audiobook you should because it just makes this book even funnier it's even better yeah definitely there's a a funny thing that we learn about the second tier as well so when there's this conversation around whether harrow and gideon are going to do this um harrow hark says the second house is famed for something similar in reverse the second's the second necromancer's gift is to drain her dying foes to strengthen and augment her cavalier. Mm-hmm. And I found that interesting mainly because isn't it the same type of – it would be the same theorem. You're just applying it to someone different and moving it to someone else. I don't know. It's it's interesting that the subject of where that strength goes is the cavalier in the second – case it's not for the second necromancer herself yeah it is interesting that the the lesson of this challenge doesn't seem to be like the you know entropy field laid on top of the senescence it's that you have to siphon your cavalier yeah but that's not really something that i thought Hera would need to learn presumably it already exists because the second pretty much does it right i don't know it's maybe just something Hera's never done and in order, I think the shortcut here is that Dulcinea is, Harrow could have figured this out on her own. Mm-hmm. The shortcut is that Dulcinea is just telling her what it is. Right. But I don't think that Harrow wouldn't have been able to figure this challenge out on her own. It's just going faster. Right. And I remember at, at the end of this challenge, she's like, what did we learn from that? Yeah. And it's true. What was the point of that except to, and you know what the point of it is though, Mel? Tamsin Muir basically wanted a situation where Hera would be naked <laughs> and be comforting. It's such like a hurt comfort freaking like this is just fan fiction. <laughs> I, it's just, yeah, she've got like Dulcinea cradling, a, <laughs> you know, a tortured Gideon in her arms with like Hera getting all her clothes ripped off by this entropy field. And it's... It's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. It's so good. I mean, obviously, we all needed that whole scene just just for the scene. And what it mm-hmm. is telling us is what you will have to sacrifice to become a lictor. Right. Like, it's just another clue that, like, you're going to be you're going to be killing your uh, Cavalier. Yeah. Oops. <laughs> Sorry, y'all. And. There's also a bit where Gideon thinks it seemed dumb to be a Cavalier primary with no more use than a big battery, but like that is literally Lichterhood, baby. Yeah. Yeah. Also, it's interesting when the challenge is happening and Dulcinea is holding Gideon, she's whispering these sweet nothings to her. She says like, don't ever let anyone do this to you again. Yeah. It's not worth it. Yeah. I don't know what she wants here. I don't understand, like... Well, this is the complexity of this character, I think, right? Because Kitharea has obviously had so much trauma in her life. She's killing people here because she's trying to sabotage this whole process and because she's working with Blood of Eden. And ultimately, to, like, get to her ends... 
I think she needs to kill off Harrow and Gideon. And in fact, she tries later to do exactly that, again, for the purposes Mm -hmm. of this greater goal. Um, And on a person-to-person level, I think she does connect with Gideon. Mm -hmm. And she's a great actress, but I do think this, what you're quoting, is really genuine. It's not worth it. It's so cruel. You're so young and vital and alive. Remember this and don't let anyone do it to you ever again. I'm sorry. We take so much. I'm sorry. Oof, brutal. And the we take so much are the nine houses, are the lictors and the necromancers. Yeah. Because necromancy takes Mm -hmm. in order to exist. Yeah. Ooh, it's a really intense scene. I've read it many times, many more times even than I've read the book. I feel like it's one of those, a few in this book that I like will reread like twice every time I read the book. But Gideon does survive. Harrow, I think, is like a little bit flustered yeah, because she realizes that Gideon almost died, like could sense that Gideon almost died. Yeah. And also basically has to carry Gideon back to their quarters and refuses to use magic, which is kind of cute. Before they leave, though, I'm getting ahead of myself. Before they leave, a couple things. Dulcinea archly whispers nice hair to Gideon. <laughs> She knows exactly who Gideon is. It's wild. Anyway, that's just a little a little thing. And I think it was probably even more validated by the fact that Gideon survived that challenge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she says afterwards, I think, like, you were magnificent or something. <laughs> yeah, because Gideon's like a walking allergy battery thing. And then we got a meme alert. Well, it's not a meme, but it's a pop culture alert. Oh, yeah. <laughs> From one of my favorite movies. (laughs) Before they leave, Harrow turns around and says to Dulcinea, why do you want to become a lictor? And Dulcinea slash actually Kitherea says, I didn't want to die. But before she says that, Gideon says, (laughs) you can't just ask someone why they want to be a lictor. You can't just ask someone. (laughs) That's a mean girl's reference. (laughs) Oh, it's so good. That's a Mean Girls reference. Uh. (laughs) I did not catch that. Um, I did not catch that. I love it. So funny. It's funny because when I gave a friend of mine this book and they saw this line and like texted me a picture of it and was like, is this a Mean Girls reference? And I was like, oh my God, yes. And they were like, I don't know if I can handle this book. I love it. Also, in that reference, aside from it being a Mean Girls reference, or like in that part of the book, I think the tenses that are used here are really interesting. Mm. I wonder if in this moment, Harrow suspects that Dulcinea is not who she says she is. I think there's debate on when Harrow suspects this. I think she's always Mm -hmm. obviously been suspicious of Dulcinea, but doesn't quite know what the deal is. But when she asks, why did you want to be a lictor? Kitherea responds in past tense and says, I didn't want to die, which I guess technically, grammatically could be totally correct for, you know, when she made the decision in the past to come here, it was because she didn't want to die. Mm -hmm. But I just find the past tense interesting because she could have said, I don't want to die because she hasn't theoretically attained lictorhood yet. But she uses past tense here. And I... It's curious. I don't know if it was a slip up or what, or if I'm reading into it too much, but that's something I picked up on. Well, at the end, she says, I never lied to you. Like she tells the surviving people that 
that she never lied. It's like she's never lied, but she's really twisting the truth. But she really doesn't lie, I don't think, at all. I think I don't think she's, you know, lying when she says that she hadn't lied at all. Yeah. It's interesting. So chapter 21, Gideon wakes up to many Harrow notes. <laughs> she's gone to see the theory room <laughs> with the key that they got, and she's asked Palamides to look at Gideon. There's a great moment here where in one of the notes it says, I have left some bread for you in a drawer. <laughs> and Gideon says, yum. <laughs> I'm not eating your nasty drawer bread. Oh, so yes. funny. So funny. Uh, yeah. And uh, Camilla shows up to check on Gideon and takes her to get some food. There's this really interesting moment when Gideon asks Camilla something about Dulcinea and Camilla says, Lady Septimus and I have never met. Yeah. Does Cam suspect or know, or does she mean that they never had met because they had never met before Canaan House and like Dulcinea hadn't really acted like she was their friend? All right. My theory is that Camilla does not like Dulcinea. Probably didn't like Dulcinea when Palamides was pen pals with Dulcinea. Because mm -hmm. Camilla and Palamides, their relationship is is interesting. I feel like it's hinted Judith hints, I think in the piece at the end of Harrow, Judith is trying to give Camilla advice about <laughs> not loving your necromancer, right? Cuz we learn about Judith and uh, Marta. Mhm. Mm and so it's possible that Camilla just doesn't like Dulcinea because Palamides is so infatuated with her. And I don't know that it's a total love like romantic love thing, but I think Camilla just really cares a lot about Palamides. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, it's hard to watch your, let's call them best friend, be pen pals with someone who's probably <laughs> going to die really young. I don't know. Like, I'm sure it's just like a painful thing to bear witness to, to see your friends so lovesick over this person. Totally. Yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting line. Uh, Camilla and Gideon go to the cafeteria. I feel like Camilla and Gideon are always in the cafeteria together. <laughs> but this is just a side note. When they get there, Corona Beth is asking teacher for her own facility key. Teacher says he can't give it to her. And Corona Beth asks Palamides for his help. And this is the moment where we realize, and I don't think I realized this the first time around. So Corona Beth says, I want the same keys that my sister has. If you help me, I'll give you all this stuff. And Palamides says, I cannot help you. It's impossible. There's only one key. Each key is unique. Each challenge has only one key. And that's the moment where most people, except maybe Harrow and Palamides and maybe Anthe, realize that there is a finite number of keys. And then Corona Beth is like, well, that must mean that we have to work together. And she's like, teacher, this means we have to work together, right? And he's like, there is only one rule. And the rule <laughs> is that you can't open a locked door without permission. And the second house is also in the room with them. And one of them is like, what rules are there then against murder or thievery? Or then teacher's just like, there are no rules. There are no rules. <laughs> Yeah. And it's kind of this moment where everyone's like, oh, shit. It got real. Yeah. And so Corona Beth runs off to tell Ianthe, who I can only imagine already suspected this. 
And the second house tries to team up with Palamides and Palamides is like, no, you guys are dumb. You're behind the ball. I'm not going to team up with you. He's not lowering himself to their caliber. You know, like he feel <laughs> yeah. like him and Harrow and Ianthe, but we don't fully know that are just on their own plane. Uh-huh. They are so much more intelligent and competent than anyone else yeah. here. <laughs> yeah. You know, after this plays out, the second is like real pissed that Corona is trying to bribe Palamides. Uh-huh. And, you know, when they leave, Palamides is basically like, Camilla and Gideon come with me, and he leads them to where Abigail and Magnus's bodies are stored in the refrigerator. And as they get mm-hmm. there, the second comes out. Mm-hmm. And so it's clear that the second tried to search their bodies for the keys <laughs> so they could get one, because right. the second has just been sleeping on the job so far. <laughs> and when they come out, I feel like at this point... Palamides knows how to attain lictorhood because he says, you know, he can't be bribed and and the second is trying to like kind of bribe him to to work together and is like, well, you don't understand. And Palamides interrupts the second and is like, God help you when you understand. My only consolation is that you won't be able to put any responsibility on my head. Hmm. And he basically says, I don't want to help anyone do this. Like, I don't want to help anyone continue on with these challenges. And so does he know? Has he cracked the code? And does he suspect what it takes to become a lictor by this point? I think he might suspect because later, remember he and Harrow are having that argument where Harrow's like, I think it's leading us to like the secret chamber or something where there's like a prize. And he's like, no, it's teaching us different parts of a mega theorem. Yeah. And he's right. But he also later in the book is like, if this is all what I think it is, this is wrong. This is bad. This is an evil thing. So I do wonder if there's a part of him that's starting to suspect it, but it's kind of like, this can't be it. Like, this can't be what we're here for because that's awful. He's he's such a good person. I would totally (laughs) buy that. This is also the bit where he does psychometry. Is that what it's called? It's like when he uses... Allergy to figure out timeline and oh right when things last touch things you know what i mean yep he's trying to track the keys right he goes and like takes out magnus from the refrigerator and lubes up his finger with some magic juice <laughs> and use <laughs> and uh <laughs> sorry and he can't like figure out what he wants to figure out And Gideon's asking some questions, and he says that Magnus and Abigail, they found little bone fragments in their bodies. And at that moment, they hear some commotion outside, and they look, and it's the fourth teens that had been listening in on their conversation. So I guess at this point, we can assume that they know that Magnus and Abigail, they didn't accidentally die. They were murdered, and there were bone fragments in their wounds. There's one kind of weird, immature-ish, kind of like childish moment, not childish, but where Palamides asks Gideon, you know, what is Dulcinea to you? (laughs) Clearly, like, clearly Palamides has picked up on the fact that, like, Gideon's got the hots for Dulcinea, and we know that Palamides has the hots for Dulcinea and has for a long time. We don't 
we don't actually know that until much later in the book basically at the end of the book a lot of it is uncovered but we we assume just crush energy here and this is just another bit of evidence that Palamides is a good person because he's basically like can you just look out for her and he's just taken the high road he's such a good guy but he does talk about how the eighth has put a target on Dulcinea's back right and again we're starting to see like shit hitting the fan here with everyone everyone's starting to get suspicious of everyone else and a lot of like people are now out to get each other right so silas must know as well that there are a finite number of keys he's also up on the game yeah i just forget about him because he's such a dick and you know he he dies but (laughs) spoiler alert and like hopefully actually for real like hopefully we never see those those guys again well we briefly do in harrow we see Silas again, but remember he like throws himself oh, off yeah, like the yeah. terrace in the dream world and Abigail's like, I'm horribly <laughs> worried about what happened to his soul. Right. And I'm like, I'm horribly excited to hear that he is like, his soul is gone. <laughs> yep. Some souls need to just go missing. But here's where, you know, when I first read this, I was like, oh my God, the whole, this whole thing is like Harrow killed Magnus and Abigail. Once the bone fragments. Oh, because of the bone fragments. Now my, you know, wheels are turning on my first read through and I'm like, oh, shit, Harrow did this. And then the other thing here, too, is that Palamides, this I kind of found weird and maybe I was like, why is this even a thing? But Palamides starts to like make us suspicious of the kids and be like, I I wonder how dangerous those kids really are. Mm-hmm. And... I don't know how dangerous... I mean, they do... You know, they are dangerous enough that Ketherea feels that they need to be killed, but... Right, exactly. Like, they do end up being being so dangerous to someone that it, like, means their death. Right. And specifically their death. Like, she could have easily killed Gideon at the same time, but... Yeah. Moving on to the last chapter that we're going to cover today, chapter 22. It starts out with... I feel like a lot of these chapters start out with basically Gideon (laughs) does some... Self-care. It's great. (laughs) Takes a nap. (laughs) Yeah, this time she works out. She takes a bath, her first bath ever. Congrats to Gideon. And then she naps. Like, that's like three pages. (laughs) (laughs) She wakes up and Harrow's come back and she tries to wake her up. But, oh my gosh, I love this line. She tries to wake Harrow up and it says, Harrow slithered more deeply underneath the covers like a bad black (laughs) snake. (laughs) And you don't know why Harrow's in such a bad mood right now. Your assumption is that she had to give Dulcinea the key and therefore is all grumpy about it. But in fact, she has already discovered what Gideon is about to discover. Oh my God, you're right. This is when between that challenge and... The incinerator. She would have taken that Protesilaus's head. Yep. Wow. Okay. I never thought about that. Interesting. So she's she's seen some things in the interim. She's seen some things and she's chosen not to tell Gideon right away, which is a trend. Yeah. She's got to be trustworthy. So Gideon leaves Harrow to her nap and she's walking around and Isaac finds her and says that she needs her because somebody's dead. And she needs to take Gideon, or he needs to take Gideon to see Jean-Marie. And he goes to get Corona Beth, who's like super hot in her bathing suit in the pool, <laughs> grabs Corona Beth as, as well. It turns out that Marta Dias and 
Colum and Nibirius as well. They all come with them. Um, they follow. <laughs> oh, wait, but first, the pulpit is pretty funny. It says something about Nibirius's like 57 <laughs> abdominal muscles and how he does like a stretch to like show them off and then gets like really peeved when <laughs> no one's looking. I totally see dudes do this. Like you and your 57 bro, abdominal muscles. No one's looking. Yeah, whatever. And then also <laughs> when Corona Beth gets out and she's like soaking wet, it says <laughs> Gideon made her first ever prayer to the locked tomb of gratefulness and joy. <laughs> Uh, this book is so gay. <laughs> so gay. Nibirus is complaining and there's another. I was like, is this a Mean Girl reference? I don't think so, but maybe. He's complaining and Corona Beth says to Nibirus, shut your mouth and fix your hair. You know that part in Mean Girls where Regina George's mom is like talking to them and she's like, can you go fix your hair? Do you remember that part? Um, I, I, I feel like I know that part, but... God, it's been a while, which means I kind of need to rewatch Mean Girls, I think. Oh, you definitely should. Um, I think maybe this moment is just a moment where I've seen Mean Girls way too many times. And <laughs> I was just like, oh, my gosh, another reference. Probably not. Anyway, they go to the incinerator, which is like out on a terrace. John Marie says there's a dead body in there. And it's this awkward moment because I guess any necromancer would be able to tell this. Yeah. Coronabeth is not a necromancer. So it's really only Isaac out there who can sense that this is a dead body. And Coronabeth like doesn't want to say that that's not true because she doesn't want to give herself away. So it's kind of awkward. Yeah. So they go off to find some necromancers to check it out. And, you know, everyone breaks up after that. And Jean-Marie tells Gideon and corona beth that magnus liked them so she wanted to give them this warning that someone else is dead poor jean marie is like having a just kind of an ongoing panic attack yep we also get a little clue in here about protessa Lawis again where nibirius is being a big old dick and mm -hmm. he's he's asking the eighth if the eighth is excited about his you know duel with protessa Lawis, and nibirius Ugh, says gross. Should be interesting to see the cab. He's not remotely like his rep, is he? Ain't ever matched him in a tournament myself, dot, 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 dot. Just again, like, this guy is nothing like what we thought he was he was going to be. And so you wouldn't even think anything of it the first read through. But there it is. More little, right. more little hints. Yeah. Also, there's the bit where Gideon's hood, like, falls down a little bit and Corona Breath is like, oh, my gosh, you're a ginger. <laughs> That's it. I mean, it's just funny. <laughs> it's cute. I love it. I know. It's really, really cute. And then at the end of this chapter, there's just, like, a little bit where Camilla finds Gideon in the cafeteria again, like, literally always in the cafeteria, and says the seventh is missing. I love reading Camilla. Like, Camilla is so well written. And so she's like, let's move. She and Gideon go out to try and find her. And they find Dulcinea collapsed on a terrace, like outside in the rain. And Dulcinea says, he never came back, referring to Protessa Lawis, and passes out. So basically, this is just Kitharea being theatrical to get pro out of fighting Column because Column would have been, you know. I guess there's a limit to how well yeah. she can puppet. And Protessa Lawis is the one in the incinerator, right? 
He and Dulcinea. And Dulcinea, yes. right, which we learn later. Right now, though, we just – we don't know. Yeah. I find the incinerator interesting because the an, – an incinerator comes back into play in Harrow. Oh, my gosh, yeah. There's some sort of incinerator trend here. I don't know what it means, but it is – I mean, also – I don't know mm-hmm. why there's an incinerator in, in, on Canaan House. I get why there's one on a ship, but alas. Yeah, I don't know. So that's that's that little bit. It moves pretty quickly, this part of the book, I feel like. It's kind of like Magnus and Abigail die, and then you know, all of a sudden like people are getting knocked out like every couple of chapters, yeah. I feel like. Or at least because these chapters are so short, it feels like people are getting knocked off pretty quickly. Obviously, I mean, at this point, we've talked about it many times, Protesilaus has been dead. So he's not really knocked off, but he's no longer going to be right. around. And it really does beg the question for me, we, we're not going to answer this now, but why doesn't Kitharea just kill everyone off immediately? You know, like, why does she let this all play out? Because she could. Well, what I think she's trying to do is exactly what she does, which is basically she's trying to like slowly knock people off until someone calls God. I see. They can't just call God and be like, yo, this crazy lady just killed a bunch of because like the game would be up. Right. But like the idea is she has to have someone get in touch with God and be like, we don't know what's happening. Slowly but surely people are getting knocked off. Come help us. I don't know. That must be her game. Basically to like lure him back to the system without making him suspicious. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because it says later that if she had gone full force, he would have just sent the lictors in to take care of it. I see. That makes sense. Well, we should probably wrap up here for today. That was a (laughs) lot to cover. (laughs) Oh, man. These books are good. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us. Uh, At this point... We recorded the first three episodes before we posted any, so this is the first episode where we have an episode out already, and we've gotten some comments on it, and some people have submitted comments to the website, and they've been so lovely to read, and we're just so excited to just get to talk about this (laughs) and get some engagement from the community. It's super fun. We'll be trying to release podcast episodes every Tuesday morning. So you can check back on Tuesdays. On that note, if you liked listening, please rate and review us. And if you have any questions or comments or want to point something out that we've missed, you can go to locktombpod.com or find us on Twitter at locktombpod. I'm Amy. And I'm Mel. And we'll see you next time here at the Locktomb Podcast.